I do genuinely believe, though, that th there will be a change in the way that humans operate. For example, did a, a call with Visit Scotland this morning, right. uh, helping them in their, their media strategy. Live it, Visit Scotland. And uh, they said, for example, the hundreds, maybe thousands of bus tours that do, hey, lots of old people come cram on a bus with us for a week. Oh. They said that is just not going to happen anymore. People are just not going to sign up for these massive group holidays hmm. because we're now also aware of the you know being in proximity close proximity to other people certainly hmm. certainly not like next year maybe in a few years they'll have a resurgence yeah but yeah. even even things like uh, tourists areas where they're very reliant on the chinese market they're they, they expect there to be a big downturn in that as well i'm not really sure I, why i reckon short term definitely but i reckon long term humanity does not learn any lessons Ever. Well, so we'll we'll be back to like exactly the same as we were before within five years. Right. Okay. Fortunately, that's a long enough like time span where I'm not going to get checked on that. If I'm wrong, <laughs> no one's going to remember. Well, you could you perhaps by that point you will have blown up and been a big celeb. I'll be huge. I'll be I'll be one of those people that they post something on Twitter and then the rest of the world searches through everything they've ever said exactly. to find the bad stuff. And I've done so much of that. Yeah, I'm, I've been yeah made loads of mistakes. Let's try and hide those. As I've talked about before, I had to go through my own Twitter and delete tweets from 2010 where I was being yeah. essentially homophobic to myself. But you know, just in case I ever wanted to host the Oscars, you got to get yeah, rid of it. You got to you got to censor all your edgy jokes when you were younger. <laughs> from when I called people gay. Oh ho! Wow, this is a clever one. That you know what? Just you can't be too careful. You don't want your your podcast shut down after. Yeah. Two whole seasons. No, no, no. And, and to be fair, I have, I do still find like, as a joke, that one of the acceptable times that joke has been made was in Shaun of the Dead because there was this is this we all got reminded of this because Simon Pegg did a video recreating it and they explained why they did the line and it was like oh really well yes yeah, because it was a comment a meta commentary on masculinity and and things like caring things um being gay it's like that wasn't making fun of right. the gays that was making fun of the men's. Okay, fair enough. Just on that point about uh, old things on the internet being, uh, well, resurfacing. I remember I was uh, shamed at high school for leaving a comment on a girl's page. At that point, I was a little bit confused. And I left a, a comment on her page saying that she looked really nice and uh, was completely unaware that it was a public comment. And uh, I don't actually, I don't think it was, you look really nice. I think it was hot. I think that was the comment. Is that all you said was hot? <laughs> I think that's the comment I wrote. Yeah, oh. and and that was that. And then suddenly uh, everyone was was uh, declaring my love for for Stacey McAlpine. Did you learn your lesson? No, not really. You got to slide into the DMs <laughs> to say them creepy things. There was then a later uh, episode, a couple of years later on Bebo, where I left Bebo. my Bebo love to uh, a chap in, my, in the year below who was called Mark. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I decided, you know what, this is a good idea. I'm going to leave him my Bebo love, even though I don't think I'd ever actually spoken to him. You just, oh dear, the distant, the distant love. He was in my PE class and, and he was cute. And that was basically it. And so I decided, hey, what, you know what? I'm just going to leave my Bebo love to this guy, even though I've never spoken to him in my life. Perfect plan. And then that, of course, went horribly wrong. And, uh... I was voting most likely to come out the closet in sixth year. I mean, that's a big tell, that one there, to be <laughs> honest. I've got a clear and distinct crush on someone that I've never inter interfaced with, and I'm going to make that knowledge public. Hmm, how could they ever have figured me out? 
I don't know. I honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. I, I figured I'd hidden it pretty well behind my veneer of uh, macho masculinity. <laughs> the more stories that come out, the less hidden it is proving to have been. Yeah. Ever. No, there was. The... <laughs> Can't hide it behind tooth necklaces and heavy metal. No, it's it's not even that. It's it's amazing what hindsight can do, but. For example, the amount of people who now look at the fact that at one stage on my YouTube, I had seven choreographed dance, oh, the dance videos. videos I did with Amel, my sister. Uh-huh. And and everyone was just like, it's fine. That's, that's clearly what straight men do. They choreograph dances with their sister. Of course they ba- do. That's banging. I'm, not, I'm, I'm calling out anyone who says, who says otherwise. Well, I think... You for, got, if anyone out there has got the courage to just whap out a good old choreographed dance <laughs> with whoever, that's not, a, that's not a judgment on any sort of sexuality and or leaning. Well, that's yeah. just courage. Well, okay, I take your point, but also none of my brother's other than myself would have ever done that. Because of toxic masculinity. They're too afraid to be seen as feminine so they can't dance in public. That uh, maybe has something to do with it. Maybe. This is exactly it. This is the real toxic masculinity. The stuff that everybody rejects. I'm really unsure as to how we got from uh, coronavirus to choreographed dance moves, but uh, there we go. We were going through the dictionary. (laughs) Backwards. We've gone backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Season Operate episode 201. We have broken the barrier. We've broken the duck of season two. Thank you all very, very much for listening. I'm Colin and he is James. Yeah, yeah, I am. Intro remains the same for Scotland's least all podcast. Yes. Your new favourite podcast. Yes. With the longest running season two yeah. of any podcast in the world ever. You know what? I, I can officially refute Seesaw Prep season one being the longest season one ever because I heard really? someone introducing their podcast as having a season one that spanned three and a half years. Really? Yeah. However, Seesaw Parade was, ha, does still have the longest running season one of any podcast ever. Just throwing that out there. Well, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because because we because we do. Oh, well, it was never true, but who cares? <laughs> Thank you to everybody who got in touch, uh, including ML, who said, enjoyed the episode 200. I too am a big fan of Community. Ah, yeah. Abed is brilliantly written and to include a funny, clever, multidimensional ASN character in a mainstream comedy is something we should see more of. Definitely. And atypical is another excellent uh, yeah. example. James. Well, no, this, that's, that's, that's the thing we didn't talk about. Yeah, so his character isn't just like the token guy with mental difficulties of some sort or other. He actually gets given so much depth and, as ML said, like dimension to the character. Yeah. It is really brilliantly written and they won awards for that writing. He, he won awards for the performance and rightly so. And also uh, Ross left us a, a message and said, season two, you're well on your way to six seasons and a movie. Oh, Colin may not yet get that reference, but he will. Solid reference. Excellent reference. Top quality. Well done. And he also has... That's uh, the kind of writers we need in our room. He also has Troy and Abed in the morning in a mug. Ah, you've got one of them mugs. I've seen those in the wild. Which uh, apparently he got at the NBC store in uh, at 30 Rock in New York. Oh, okay. Okay. An exclusive club. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good wee... Um, bit of souvenir. Of course, you can have, get in touch with uh, Seesaw Parade at Seesaw Parade on Twitter or Seesaw Parade at gmail.com, also on Facebook, also on Snapchat. You know how to do it. Let's crack on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, James, how, how are you doing before we, we actually begin? Whatever I said last week is probably the same answer as that. It doesn't feel like the days are passing, but yet the days have passed and it is another Friday. It is. I, I'm, I'm actually in agreement with you. It's... It is becoming Sunday 
it's too soon after the previous Sunday. Mm-hmm. That that seemed to me that's my marker yeah. is the Sunday. It, it, it turns out um, when everybody in the world doesn't have a boring routine to drag the week and make it super long, it, everybody's time flies by. Even my time's flying by faster, and and I haven't changed my routine at all. <laughs> wow, there's maybe a lesson to be learned in there. But it's because I don't see so many people complaining about their work weeks. It makes my week lighter. <laughs> it's been a, it has been a funny one in that. Similarly to last week, I've ended up doing more work than I would have done on a normal week. But I think that's just because in terms of the pink elephant business, we're just suddenly having to upend the entire way we operate. And suddenly we're having to put courses together online and do Mm -hmm, uh, social media stuff every day. And, you know, things we things we never really did before because business was going so well. No, it makes sense. You're you're restarting the whole business. So that's going to take a fair bit of hours. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So so a lot is happening. But um, we're all good. And I hassled somebody for a £1,200 invoice and they finally paid me. So that's good. Good job. Don't forget that one for your taxes. <laughs> they don't need to know. <laughs> they don't need to know about invoices. They don't need to know about income. I live on zero it's, money. It's coronavirus. I'm I'm sc- I'm stealing to live. <laughs> I have been seeing a lot of chat about people either saying that they've become way more productive at their real job or they've become so efficient at their real job that it's giving them loads of time to do all the housework and chores and DIY projects that they didn't think they would get done until the summer holidays. Like, hey. this this break is proving to be good for a certain type of person. I'm not saying it's good for everyone. Some people are struggling a lot and I do sympathize, but yeah. some people out there are just like being invigorated by this by this change of lifestyle. We'll, we'll, we'll get onto this in more depth in a minute, but the only thing I'd say is that I have upped my cereal intake exponentially. <laughs> the Cocoa Pops are going. They're just going. They're just, no, that's it. They're going. <laughs> James, the, the main headline we'll start with is that lockdown in the UK has been extended by at least three weeks. So mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. first lockdown was uh, started on March 23rd. It is now Friday evening yeah. on the 17th of April. Yeah. And this lockdown extends it through to, oh, I would say May 7th. But We're doubling it. Yeah. I, I suspect it will be longer still. Or at least in some form. So in terms of the restrictions, this still remains the same. Only for essential shopping, for exercise, yeah. uh, and for any other absolute necessity that yeah. you are allowed to to, to leave the, or the house. Or for gathering on Westminster Bridge and clapping in a massive crowd. <laughs> we'll get to that. This is clearly <laughs> the, the right decision because ultimately we're still seeing a huge number of deaths. The UK tally reached 14,000 today. I'm sure it will breach 15 and 16 by uh, early next week. Yeah. The infection rate, while it's falling, is still very, very high. It's in the hundreds on a, a, a daily basis. Um, Sorry, it's in the thousands on a daily basis, and deaths are in hundreds. Yeah. Although the number of confirmed cases has tapered off a wee bit, but that's yeah, yeah. just because of the way we're testing things, uh, like most other good numbers are, it's because we're not doing things enough. So there's there's a couple of a couple of points here. The first one is that okay, things are improving in some aspects. You're right in that the number of confirmed cases is dropping. It was at a high a few days ago and is now beginning to fall, but things are yeah. still not in a good enough position 
to lift all restrictions. Oh, yeah, things are getting worse slower than they were. Yeah. The the, the next question, James, really, and this is what uh, Labour have been saying, it's also what uh, Nicola Sturgeon's been saying, the First Minister, that we need to have a discussion about when and how the lockdown is lifted. But the Tories mm-hmm, at this point, mm-hmm. the UK government are saying, nope, um, it is not the time to be muddying the waters or distracting people from what the key message is, which is stay at home. What's your view? What, what should they be doing? Uh, well... Most of the um, educated community on this, which I am, of course, not, but I'm just echoing what I have heard, says that giving people, like, the facts about the end of a thing makes it easier for them. Because they're not just, like, thinking it's going to last till forever and I'm just going to break the rules now. Yeah, they I start thinking, like, oh, here's the goal. Here's the deadline or here's, like, the situation that opens up the doors. So I don't think we're in a position where we can call a date and say this is when things are going to start easing off. Uh, But I think surely by now they've had enough time to prepare like a statement of what the country will look like when we will be able to start easing things out of lockdown. So like when the confirmed cases per day is at this amount or when the um, total infected is at this amount, we can look to ease the lockdown. But they aren't saying anything at all. And I don't agree with not saying anything at all. Um, I'm a bit in the middle. I don't want a date. I don't want to be told like we're going to be unlocked down by mid-May. Right. But I do want to be told what would bring that date to the table. So it was Matt Hancock, the health minister. Um, yeah, who had some good PR photos this week. Yeah, Johnny Morrison uh, spinnerized his name so he became Hat Mancock, which ah, I did find ah, very, very beautiful funny. Beautiful stuff, beautiful. <laughs> so um, Matt Hancock, who said, I can't say Matt his name Hancock now. sounds like the bad guy in a cartoon, <laughs> but like a cartoon... <laughs> It's, it's, it's supposed to be one of those jokes that only the parents get. Okay. Oh, bad hat. Anyway, he's been talking about the five conditions that need to be met before the lockdown was eased. The first one is making sure the NHS could cope. I'm sure they keep up the clapping. They'll be fine. Yeah, the clapping's going to help. The second one is a sustained and consistent fall in the daily death rate, which we are yet to see. Yeah. A third one is reliable data showing the rate of infection was decreasing to manageable levels... Yeah. That one, I guess, is subjective. The fourth one... They all are. The fourth one is ensuring the supply of tests... Good point. Ensuring the supply of tests and personal protective equipment, or PPE, can meet future demand. Yeah. And the fifth one (laughs) is being confident that any changes would not risk a second peak. (laughs) So this is what I I meant. I didn't mean to say, you know, they've not said anything at all... um, what it, I'm saying is they haven't said anything concrete. Yeah, it's at all, all it's all very, very vague. Everything's just like we might already be at that stage. Who knows? They haven't told us. <laughs> we might already have the, the testing capacity to to not have a crisis. We might already have reached a point where the, we're not going to have a resurgence. But they, everything they've said is so vague that it's just meaningless. So what we need is some facts, please. The, the second point I'd like to raise is about the two things you, you've, you've tied in there. The testing but also the clapping, because we've Mm -hmm. seen this clapping has continued. It's now a ritual. It's now going to be Thursday, 8 o'clock. We're going to continue to clap until the end of time. How many have you missed? All of them. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. I I passive-aggressively joined in on the first one. Oh, did you? Oh, that was good. Because I realised that I I could hear the crowd outside clapping, and I had no idea what they were clapping for. I hadn't actually seen (laughs) any of the clap chat. Um, until the clapping was going, and then uh, I, I was, I was, I was, I was calling my girlfriend. I said, "I believe people are clapping for the NHS right, right now." Right. I just, it was intuitive, so I gave it a, 
gave it a few ham flaps and then moved on <laughs> okay. with my life. Um, so on that on that note, the clapping has continued. There was one video circulating on social media yesterday which showed, I'd say, a few hundred people on Westminster Bridge in London all clapping, all yeah. totally breaking the social distancing rules. Yeah. And the second point... And mostly police. Oh, yeah, a lot of police there. And the second point <laughs> you've mentioned there, James, is testing. It seems to me that one of the ways out of this, that South Korea have done really, really well, that Germany seem to be doing at this point Better in time... Better than us, for sure, yeah. ...is testing everybody or as many people as as they possibly can germany is at something like um six there are six figures a day certainly yeah and, and south korea was even better so now the the, yeah. the the chat is okay we need to be able to test people on a daily basis and we're nowhere near the numbers that we need to be at. no we're, we're testing somewhere in the tens of thousands a day um and the government has said that they wanted to by the end of the month be testing a hundred thousand a day they maybe said they wanted to, by the middle of the month, be testing 100,000 a day. We're getting nowhere near that. There's not really an improvement. Um, and the latest that they're saying is that they never actually promised that. They didn't promise us that we were going to be testing any amounts of people. They're just going to try their best. It's like, we've got the recordings, buds. You said it in press conferences. But we need to be testing. You've seen, as you said, the countries that did it are showing that they can manage the crisis like dramatically better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though Germany originally looked to be having a similar pattern to everywhere else in Europe, they ramped up the testing, ramped up the tracing, and even though they struggled to do so, and there was a lot of stories of uh, mismanagement, it still had their uh, deaths per capita kept way lower than the UK and way lower than the EU average. And then you look at the likes of even countries or smaller countries like Iceland being able to basically test every single possible person and finding out that half the people that have had coronavirus never showed symptoms because their testing is so wide that they can give us the statistics on symptomless cases. And we're over here testing a couple of thousand yep. for until until April. Like, it's, it's shameful. And it, I doubt we've even tested uh, enough of the frontline staff yet, never mind the, the country. We've, we've, I saw a graph of like uh, the number of tests that we've done uh, compared to the rest of the untested country, and it was like a, it was a pip, it was a, it was a tiny wee dot. I don't know how we can be such a powerhouse economy and such a major country and have such little capacity to get tests in the door. Yeah, it's also leading on to the next question, which is about the easing of the lockdown and if it can be done essentially on a devolved basis. So, for example, can Scotland? ease some of the lockdown restrictions before the likes get of border. London. Get border up. Yeah, so that to me does make sense because in London there's more people than there is in the whole of Scotland. And whilst the numbers are far higher down there in London, they also have very different challenges compared to, yeah, say, yeah, yeah. my folks in the very far north when there is very, very few people there at all. Yeah, so because we're more spread out and our cities aren't so huge and dense. It's been a bit more manageable here, even though we've had a similar uh, approach. We did um, shut down events a bit sooner and stuff like that. So that has reflected in the numbers, but we really should be able to re-enter regular life sooner if we are showing that Scotland's got it handled or if Wales are showing that they've got it handled, or especially Northern Ireland, who are pretty not pretty not attached to us. You know, if they can, if they can show that they've got it handled, they should be able to to exit lockdown sooner. Okay. Um, for sure. The only issue, I'm assuming, especially for 
uh, unionists and such is that you'd need to control the border, uh, which is a task that we've all been told is just impossible to implement. Um, <laughs> uh, so we might have some pushback because they wouldn't want to have proof that a border is pretty possible, pretty simple, really. But no, Scotland's showing good numbers compared to uh, what we enacted and when, because we were also too slow. Yeah, We've got to hold our government accountable as well because they didn't enact lockdown as soon as they should have. Even if they did ban large gatherings a bit sooner and even if they were keen to shut the schools sooner, they still didn't do enough and we've still suffered from it. And um, we won't know the true deaths numbers until way after it because we're only counting hospital deaths. So all that needs to be remembered, even if we do manage to exit lockdown sooner than London. My final point before we move on to how the rest of the world is looking, James, is on dealing with missing people, uh, as in as in not people who are absent, but as in, well, actually, yes, people who are absent from your lives and you're not able to see them. So everyone's, you know, missing family or loved ones. Uh, but let yes. me just let me just ask, James, because you actually have the experience of uh, not seeing your other half for the best part of well months yeah a very long time right so for people who have only been apart for three four weeks at this point what's your advice for you know keeping that keeping that going find pastimes that you can do remotely so we play lots of games we watch lots of shows we try to watch a lot of stuff together listen to music together or even work on projects um together even if it's all just small stuff it's better than just sitting apart and doing your own thing. So you've said the same thing. You've picked up some games to play with your family. Yeah, while yeah. Everyone's in lockdown, all that stuff. That's all advisable. And uh, even if you don't think you're going to like games, there's a game out there you're going to like. Even if you don't think uh, you can figure out how to watch shows together, you can. It's pretty easy. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> you just need two accounts instead of one. Man, huge <laughs> expense. Yep. <laughs> so you just do all that. And it's about making that plan, communicating when you're free, um, and making that time available. And I'm predisposed to be able to do that easier than most people. I, I'm not someone who is necessarily in a place where I constantly need physical closeness. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't constantly need a face-to-face interaction. I can, I can handle uh, friendships and uh, relationships from a distance, whereas other people might uh, be less uh, predisposed to be able to handle that. So I sympathize. Again, I sympathize, but basic advice is... Uh, just do stuff. Don't be overthinking it and just do stuff. There was a, a day last week I ran to wave at my uh, pal Bex from her third floor window, which was fun. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. I gave someone a wee boost. Yeah, there you go. I, I did consider uh, buying a bike so I could cycle out to see Graham and Dunfermline, but um, decided that that would be about 110 miles in a day no, that's <laughs> and a... uh, decided probably I can I can last for another few weeks. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's probably less of a a side track to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's more of an entire quest line. Let's look at the worldwide picture. We now have uh, more than 2 million people across the world who have been infected with COVID-19. And going specifically to the States and Donald Trump, two noteworthy pieces of news I'd like to discuss in regards to uh, the USA. The first one being that Donald Trump has decided to suspend America's funding of the World Health Organization. 
So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the WHO receive usually $400 million from the US every single year. It makes oh, up wow. the biggest chunk of Wait, their... Wait, it $400 million? I thought it million. was like $50 million. I believe it's $400 million. We'll find out in the future. So the he suspended their funding for the WHO after accusing them of essentially being... Well, hiding certain bits of information and being, being China's laptop. Yeah, and being too slow to act. This has now been condemned by everyone else in the G7, including the UK, as well as people on his own political side of the bench. Yeah, yeah. Leading on to this, he's also decided to allow states to decide when they want to lift their lockdown. So in the States mm-hmm. at the moment, 32,000 people have died. That will reach 40,000 within the next few days. And essentially it's this new slogan of of get america going again or or, or get our economy going again oh, yeah 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 what do yeah, you think yeah. of this because to me just before i ask for your tuppenceworth this seems to me like trump in both cases deflecting any sort of blame or criticism the oh. first one by saying actually you know what guys this wasn't my fault it was the who's fault we're gonna pull our funding everyone point and laugh at them they were terrible They're, this is awful they've got blood in their hands and the second aspect of it is actually i'm not gonna tell you when you can lift your your lockdowns it's all up to each of you guys so you guys take the flag for it is that is that fair or am i being no that, too... that's trump's method of leadership right like we figured it out finally. Trump's Trump's leadership is just make mistakes, but then try and find somebody else to blame. Uh, usually, it's the media or or the Democrats, but now it's just uh, he's he's preempting it so he can blame the WHO or uh, blame uh, hospitals in particular for like wasting equipment and blame the um, individual governors if they open their states too soon because he probably wants them to. He wants them to open their states, get the economy just tickling on enough, trickling on enough to keep on going and then have another crisis, but then it's more branched out and spread out. But he, he just he just finds um, ways to pass his mistakes on to other people. And yes, the WHO made mistakes. They, they mostly do try to be so careful politically that they end up not being strongly worded enough yeah, yeah. in what they do. But they also in mid-January, I believe, said that um, China is very high risk for uh, epidemic and every other country is high risk for an epidemic. So they didn't say China's got it sorted. Nobody else is in danger. Yep. They told us all that we were at high risk. That sounds pretty bad, but we didn't do anything for two months after that. So it doesn't matter what else they did. They already had told us to keep to keep to keep our eyes out, and they told us to be testing people as they enter countries, like checking the th- checking their temperatures, um, doing contact tracing. They had been telling us to do that for months before we enacted anything. So they made mistakes, but it's mostly Trump and or any other um, leader of a country that has been making the big mistakes. It's it's also the fact that you're right, and that the G7 apparently these uh, the leaders of the likes of France, Germany, and the UK and Canada uh, have all harbored doubts about some aspects of what the WHO have done as well as the fact that okay perhaps they tiptoed around the Chinese political situation before they were allowed into the country but also the the biggest argument here is that this is not the time to decide to undermine the WHO and their financial no. position. We're in the middle of a no. pandemic. This is not the time to do it. But for yeah. Trump, this is how you deflect the blame. You say, actually, guys, this is not my fault. Blame yeah. them. And he's grabbing the headline because he actually can't block funding to the WHO. That's a congressional thing. Um, he's got no, sw- no say at the end of the day. They've already allocated that money. 
it would be illegal for him to to undo that. Um, but of course, he'd get away with it. Um, but it's just another way to grab the headlines and make him sound like he's strong to his supporters, make it sound like he's doing stuff when really he's just not doing anything that matters. Um, but we've got other countries stepping up. So Ireland's already uh, quadrupled its um, share that it gives to WHO. I'm sure we'll see other countries vying to be the the big guys in this world stage because all these um, international cooperations, WHO, UN, all this, you do want to be the people that have the biggest say. So America just wanting to withdraw means that somebody else is going to have the biggest say when it comes to world decisions. And America will have had a big loss in that because they like being the powerful ones. But yeah, the states are going to be another scientific study for years to come especially if we see different states being able to 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 make individual decisions that's like a dream for science it's like hard as it is and as harsh as it is people dying in this and that it's gonna show us empirically uh, what the right decisions are yep. and what the wrong ones are because some states are going to make the wrong call similarly to how we're saying that sweden are still being the guinea pig in uh, europe because they're not really doing a lockdown but their numbers are getting pretty bad. So all these countries and all these states that are making the wrong decisions are going to hopefully inform future leaders as to how to not make those mistakes. M- moving on to China. The news today is oh. that the province of Wuhan updated their fatality numbers by mm-hmm. more than 50% from around 2,500 to nearly 4,000. And this mm-hmm. is adding to the voices of the skeptics who say actually China have hidden the true the true nature of just how bad the coronavirus was in their country. Yeah, I mean, especially because the longer we go on, the more we're hearing about intelligence communities trying to warn uh, world leaders of this since late December and stuff like that. So it must have been pretty significant for them to have found out so soon. But of course, the numbers are going to be bigger as China. But then again, of course, the numbers are going to be bigger because when you do your uh, original death counts, it's confirmed hospital deaths. Yeah. This is happening in the UK. And then you start revising and the number goes bigger and bigger and bigger. So the UK people are saying that it could double because we're not counting care home deaths. We're not counting people who are dying at home um, in care. We're only counting hospital deaths and only those that have been confirmed to be coronavirus. So over time, as more and more of these um, people who have died of it are found out to have died from corona all along, we're going to see our numbers go up in a similar way. So China's got the double there. They they hide things and they also are going to keep finding the numbers going bigger. So... It's just, this is just exactly what we all expected. Link, link to that is part of what I touched on earlier, which is there's going to be a, bef- a before and after in terms of how people act, as well as how nations cooperate or otherwise with China. So Matt, oh, yeah. so Matt Hancock this week, now he talked about we can't go back to business as usual, which... And Dominic Rabb. And Dominic Rabb, yeah, which was about their relations with other countries, I believe, and specifically China. Yeah. However, there are certain aspects, and I was reading about this, there are certain aspects of the way that British people or just humankind live that we get a lot of things from China because they've got the capacity, they've got the manpower, they've got the industries that can... They do the manufacturing. Yeah, they can churn these things out at a phenomenal rate and far greater than we could ever do. So, James, do you believe that there will be a change in our relationship with China or is it just going to go back to the way it was? I want I want to, the, the dream to become reality and the dream is that we 
go and start a world with ethical manufacturing as the as the baseline. We don't do anything unethical, which means none of these horrible conditions for factory workers and warehouse people, none of that stuff. Get rid of it all. That's the dream. I wish that this would be the lesson that teaches us all that that kind of thing is important because having those rules as the baseline make the world a better place and make everybody healthier. And when everybody's healthy, the economy doesn't collapse and people don't die. Um, well, the people don't die unnecessarily. Yeah. What I think will happen, uh, like the very best potential a realistic thing is that a non-China country will become our new manufacturing base. We're already seeing it uh, in Malaysia and other places. They're right. trying and have been for a few years to ramp up their factory works and ramp up all their productions to, to be able to re replace uh, what China offers us so that we can switch to them and feel a bit better about ourselves. That's not too much better, really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, all right, we're based in Glasgow. We're going to move to Kilmarnock. Yeah, it's 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 a sister to it because it's just not under a dictator. Probably, it's under <laughs> probably a, a democracy which has proven to be not too great in many countries. Most places are just going to have the same standards of living for the for the lowest of the low. Um, so the most likely thing, if there is a change, will be switching to something else that is bad. But what I really think will happen is just it will literally go back to business as usual. Um, China owns too much of the world at this point. Um, China owns a lot of our infrastructure in the UK, never mind how much of the infrastructure in Africa they've been investing in. But as soon as China, uh, the Chinese leadership offers Boris and co uh, like a new nuclear reactor for cheap old money, um, they'll jump at it. It's the Tories. They, they don't have a backbone for these things. If, if, if China offers them uh, things for cheap, they're going to go for it and they're going to call it a win. I, I hope that this does lead to some sort of a change because we need to not be doing what we've been doing for ages and just listening to the consumer and trying to get the lowest prices and all this stuff. But I really doubt there's going to be any change at all. Capitalism is a machine and this is the where we've reached the end result of the, of the machine. This is the most efficient state of capitalism. So of course, it's just going to do this again. James, you are yet to be invited to run for heroes. Oh, no, yeah, I miss all these runs. I miss all these. As I said, I missed the clap. You missed I didn't the, get the clap. Did you get the clap? Nope, neither did I. I didn't get the clap till everybody else got it, and I, and I just witnessed the clap. <laughs> uh, this is the spate of NHS fundraising challenges which have sprung up on social media in the last couple of weeks. Run for Heroes 5K was started by an Edinburgh runner that's now into, I believe, £10 million raised for charity. I did one on Tuesday. I ran uh, 5K, started in the Necropolis, Glasgow Cemetery, which mm -hmm, mm -hmm. seemed a bad choice in, in hindsight. And, yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, topical. Ran a 5K in a, a surprisingly decent time and then gave a fiver to the NHS. So, the bigger one of this, and this is this is, and it has been going, uh, making a lot of uh, waves on social media. Lots of people on Instagram doing it oh, worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. So then the the next guy who has stolen the headlines and was described uh, today by the Duke of Cambridge as a one man fundraising machine is ninety nine mm -hmm. year old war veteran Captain Tom Moore, who yes. said he was going to do a hundred laps of his garden before yeah. he turned a hundred mm -hmm. to raise money for the NHS. So he, and, and he's, he's done it. He has, yeah, he's done it. He set a tally of of one thousand pounds, mm -hmm. and 
I believe by the time you listen to this, dear listener, he will have breached 20 million. Yeah, I think he's, he's 3,000% 3, of his goal at this point. Something like that. James, this is two two examples of of what, of something good that can come out of a pandemic. However, it does raise bigger questions of should British people be fundraising for the National Health Service in the first place? Right, yeah. So... It's a bit of a it's a bit of a yes and no answer, much like everything else. So it is, without a doubt, great to do a thing to give money to a good thing that needs the money, and therefore you've helped save lives or yeah. you've helped make lives better or whatever. Raising money for things is great. That's a good thing that humans do quite a lot. A lot of people out there raise lots of money for good stuff. The two big old no's in the world in terms of fundraising. I'll, I'll add a third one if I can think of one. Uh, the first is that the NHS and or other health services worldwide have been left in a state where they depend on the goodwill of us, the plebs who have already paid our taxes, to give even more money yep. to make things a bit better. And I'm not talking about to make things work as des- as desired. We still don't give enough to actually fund all the things they need they are so underfunded that all these um charity drives and all these uh, runs and all these walks of your garden laps of your garden are still not meeting the mark of the funding that we would really need to deal with stuff like this so the big old and big no is this should be a bonus the nhs should have enough already and all this should be a giant extra on top to make it even better rather than kind of helping it maybe function uh, the second big no that I've got is, where are the billionaires? Once again, I don't know. we're talking about people working so hard and so many thousands of people banding together to raise amounts of money that are a penny to a billionaire, not even a penny. Why haven't they spent the last month scraping their assets together, selling them off to whatever and giving a wee bit of that? We've seen some super rich people giving amounts of money equal to these or greater than these. But the majority of them are just being silent and begging for our tax relief to help their failing businesses. I'll give the third big no, is the culture in the media of celebrating this as like the goal. Uh, we, we see this a lot. And right now, definitely, we need to be celebrating this. It's much needed. But we see it a lot in, um, especially in American media, where it's like... Uh, Child worked at a lemonade stand for two weeks straight to raise $10,000 to save their parents' lives. And it's like, that's not good news. Like, the child did a great thing there, but they should never have been in a position where they needed to. Yeah. So that's where we're at. It's not, like, we're in a position where this is um, spoken about as saving the NHS. That means that we were failing before it needed to be saved. It shouldn't have needed to be saved. The big old point. But still... All the people that are doing the runs, uh, all the little people that are lapping their garden, a uh, big old round of applause for them. It's a great thing to do it, but it really shouldn't have been needed. You should share an opinion uh, of your own because I'm just hogging this one today, it's, well, as it's, usual. It's because it's a very opinion-heavy kind of episode. I think the only <laughs> thing I would add to that is the fact that, okay, some billionaires or some rich people have made donations of, of sorts. I presume... For these people, it's it's the classic idiom of more money, more problems. In that, they'll say, you know what? I've got a lot of money, but I don't really want to give it away because I need to afford my second home. I need to keep my lifestyle going. Yeah, yeah. Precisely. No sacrifices can be made. So that, that to me, is is what the solution or that what the problem is, 
is that these people have money and they will make donations of sorts, but for them, it's a comparative drop in the ocean. But it's in the same way that, for example, I could give a couple of grand to the NHS if I wanted, but then I wouldn't be able to afford my solicitor fees or my flat that I'm attempting to buy during this pandemic. But that's the big difference. I've, I've I've got the money. I could do it. But I'm sure a rich person would say, yes, I could give that money, but I'm saving it up to buy yeah, a restaurant yeah, yeah. or whatever they're right. doing. But they don't. They don't need that. For us, on the lower end of society, where the amount of money we make per week is usually just generally spent and are put into savings for an emergency or put into buying a home or yep. a first home, the one that you actually kind of need, um, a, a fiver is a significant amount of money. Once a month, a fiver is a significant amount of money. You can mm-hmm. measure that in a percentage uh, and understand it, even if it's like zero point something percent, it's still an understandable number. For the billionaires out there who are giving like ten thousand, you couldn't understand that if it was a percentage. We're talking loads of zero point zero zero zeros. Yep. That's yeah. Fair so point. they're failing. But th- there's no one who is going to take these people to task or say where where no, are no, the billionaires? No, no. It's just not going to happen. Because the establishment and the media is also run by those same people, so they wouldn't want to hold people in their circles and who are comparable to them to account right so they want to celebrate the poor giving because it encourages more of the poor people to give and they want to celebrate the rich people to give because it's a voluntary act but they don't want to call out anyone even though they should just before we get into our final section let's talk about labor and this week's news Uh, that a leaked report had basically exposed the anti-corbyn ring within the Labour Party and the fact yeah. that Labour's a demise... A clumsily leaked report. Yeah, but Labour's yeah. demise was being celebrated, though, by certain members who wanted Corbyn to essentially bring the party down because it meant that he would yeah. come down with it and they could start afresh. Yeah, they worked to save their own people while working to make sure that Labour lost enough elections to demand a restart. Yeah. Um, the, the, the report in general... Very long report. I have not read it. It's 800 plus pages, by the way. I have read certain portions of it. Um, The report adds basically a lot of concrete evidence to what until now have been conspiracy theories. The right, like conspiracy theories like the established members in the Labour Party were, were working to lose the 2017 election. That until now has been a bit of a joke. Now it just seems to be true. They were diverting funds away from the seats that Labour wanted to fight for towards safe seats so they could guarantee that their pals would not possibly lose. That's not a winning strategy. They deliberately lost the election. There is um, some concrete evidence that the people in charge of handling um, anti-Semitism reports and other um, similar reports were deliberately muddying the the process and making the process slow and ugly so that it would make Labour look bad. That to me was one of the biggest takeaways was... Labour have been hamstrung by these claims of anti-Semitism within the party, rife within the party. And then this report comes out to say, well, actually, the people whose job it was to investigate all this were essentially making it worse. Yeah, they were making it worse so it would look worse for Jeremy because they knew it wouldn't come back to them. They were doing things like... That to me is just, that's absolutely bonkers. Yeah, they were doing things like sending false statistics to, to the lead office. Um, to make them not understand things and then giving the media or giving their own people the real statistics. They were um, giving people soft um, punishments instead of hard punishments to make Jeremy look bad. They were doing all sorts of things that people were saying all along 
were happening. But until now, sounded like clowns. And until now, sounded like tinfoil hat-wearing yep. um, basement dwellers. But this report comes out, and while it paints most of Labour really poorly, it especially paints the the right leaning and like people who are decrying Corbyn as a a weak leader as the reasons that he looked like a weak leader, <laughs> like and it's 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 classic projection. It's the same projection that you see Trump doing. It's the same projection you see Republicans doing, where they think that everybody works like them. So because they were making such a hard effort to fail at anti-Semitism, um, at dealing with anti-Semitism, they projected that outwards and they said, everybody must be this bad at caring about it. So therefore, Jeremy is this bad at caring about it. The, the report, while it shouldn't have been leaked in the state that it got leaked in, I'm very glad that it's getting some attention. Okay, moving on to our final section and what we've been watching over the last week. Of course, if you have yourself been finishing off any TV shows, watched any movies, or read a nice book, or started a yep. fun game, this is, a new pet. this is your chance to, to tell us. I have watched a season of TV, James, so I will get <laughs> right. that review to you very shortly. What have you been watching? I have completed an entire season of an anime. Whoa! An anime? Shock. And uh, this anime is called Banana Fish, okay. which might be a phrase that is similar because it is literally a reference to a book whose author I forgot. It's a short story whose author I forgot, cool. written for the New York Times or something a very long time ago. Uh, this anime uh, follows a gang leader right, in the mafia uh, in New York and his struggle against the power. So he's trying to fight his his own his own boss and escape and save his friends and all this stuff that's the short the short version uh, the anime heavily uh, delves into abuse uh, violence and like depression drug problems oh, uh, all sorts of things in a very intelligent way it delves into betrayal and all sorts um, and the first half of the anime is one of my favorite halves of a show. The first half ever. The first half. Okay. While it is, it's got like a lot of cheese. It's very cliche because you know any mafia thing really is, um, and it's it's modern day set. We're not talking about like old school mafia. We're talking like current day. Okay. Uh, and while like the main character seems to be super powered and super intelligent and all those tropes, um, the reality that they bring with the struggles that he has because he. His, like they give a lot of his background is he was abused a lot by the by the bosses in the mafia he went through a lot of abuse uh-huh. um and that is reflected into his character so he's this like superhero who's got all these vulnerabilities and pushing people away not letting anyone in all that stuff and it makes the friendships that do form super convincing and very real um, and it makes anything bad that comes along really heartbreaking and very real. <laughs> uh, and the first half of the show is just this big old ramp up to an intense midpoint in the season. It's a one season show. Um, and I, 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 I would have put it in my favorite shows of all time at that point. Wow. Uh, but then the second half of the, of the show is kind of the same story explored four different times. Okay. That's that's yeah. even though it's like it is four different things that are going on. It's kind of the same. Like, oh, he's been cornered. How is he going to escape? 
oh, here's how he escapes, and they're going to enjoy their day of their freedom. Here, oh, they got cornered again. Here, they're going to escape. Right, uh, and they're, they've escaped and enjoy the, like, and it kind of drags on a wee so bit. Did they just run out of ideas? I don't think so because all of those wee side stories were important. And they did have important things going on, like power struggles within different groups, um, new characters getting introduced and um, trying to find their place in the story and exploring them and um, building up conflicts and all this. It was all important, but it just still felt a bit cyclical until the end. And the end comes and the final episode of the show redeemed the whole thing. Not really. I still haven't forgotten just how not quite invested I was in the second half. Um, but by the time it ended, it had me again. I, I, I was, I was real, real touched by the ending. Um, I was, I was very impressed by this show. Long story short, um, and the kinds of topics it's exploring while, while being this like cliche mafia show, uh, is super cool. Okay, James, the show I've been watching is Succession. Succession. Now, if you are interested in the show you may jog your memory when i list off some of the characters and what it looks like hbo have all their content uh well the vast majority of their content is free to stream during the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic so if you do fancy any shows on hbo go and check it out anyway succession yep. is a show which stars brian cox who is the scottish actor who's been in lots of yeah. massive movies he won a golden globe for this show Kieran Culkin, who is Macaulay Culkin's better acting brother. He's one of my favourite actors of all time. (laughs) Jeremy Strong is the lead role. Now, he's the kind of guy who you will have seen in various movies. He's he's got a lot of bit parts here and there. This is his first real uh, lead role. Sarah Snook, who is Australian actress, who has been, again, in a number of bit part movies. Fantastic actress. And the cast is filled out by the likes of Hayam Abbas, who's an Australian actress, and some other big names. Matthew McFadden, who was most recently in Quiz, which was the uh, Charles Ingram coughing on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, cheated his way to win. Uh, yeah. That guy, he, pl- he played uh, Charles Ingram himself. So the show is essentially about Brian Cox, who is the, the, the patriarch of the family, his failing health as the head of a billion dollar multinational corporation who owns lots of tv channels and and media uh, stations and Mm -hmm. his three rich kids jeremy strong kieran culkin and snare snook and their essentially machiavellian ways of attempting to either get the company away from their father who brian cox is phenomenal but my goodness is terrifying and uh the the 10 it's a 10 episode season hour-long episodes the finale, the final episode, is one of the best written episodes I've ever seen. It ties together so many different storylines in a very satisfying uh, fashion. Right. Very interested to see season two, which is a, is streaming as well. Season three is in the middle of being shot or being written at the point at this point. It's it's here's the other bit of information. The show was created by Adam McKay. Right. Who did The Big Short. Oh, who right, yeah. Who did Anchorman. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. It's executive produced by Will Ferrell. Now, as opposed to putting you off, if you think of The Big Short, The Big Short was a drama which had elements of comedy. Mm-hmm. This is exactly the same. Succession is primarily a drama, but there are some parts where I am... Yeah. There, it's, it's, you know, a laugh out loud maybe once an episode because there is... These characters are ridiculous you know they're but they're believable 
they are ridiculous but believable. They are so rich that they're doing things and saying things which you think, yep, that's completely unreasonable and that person is is just the worst, but I'm going to keep watching. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's as opposed to being, nah, that's way too over the top. It's actually pitched really, really well. It's written by Jesse Armstrong, who did Peep Show, who did In the Loop, which was the spin-off of The Thick of It, the, the movie The Thick yeah, of It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has done all sorts of uh, projects. I believe he started by uh, writing episodes of My Parents Are Aliens, if you remember that um, CITV show. Oh man, that's a classic. Yeah. He's really He's really made his mark. And he also did some some episodes of Black Mirror, so you can see the different elements that he's. This is a, this is a lot of talent in one show. It is an unbelievable. Honestly, if you see the the cast for the show; it's absolutely mental. Yeah, and I'm sure season two will will continue to pack them in. If you can handle rich people being the absolute worst, as mm. well as some phenomenal acting performances, some really interesting fleshed out characters and storylines with a healthy dose of bad language and drug use, then this is the show for you. Excellent. It's it's Honestly, I really enjoyed it. And I'm going to watch season two. Good. I hope season two is uh, satisfying. If you have watched anything yourself, please do, like Izzy did last week with Doctor Who, send us a review. It can be 10 seconds, if it can be two minutes, it can be whatever you want. And uh, we'll, we'll get it on the show. An hour. <laughs> yeah, sure. Have a sit-down discussion about uh, what's been happening in uh, Tiger King. Yeah, record your own podcast episode and send it to us so we can be lazy. <laughs> Sounds good. Right, James, we're uh, again approaching the hour marks. Time to time to wrap up. Uh, Any plans for the evening? Uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's the weekend. It is. But, but every day is the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm gonna go. Um, no, I'll, I'll get a beer or two. Ah. Just enjoy my enjoy the beginning of of a relaxing weekend. A relaxing weekend where I'm gonna be doing work tomorrow. Yay! Uh, yeah, me, I'll me have a too. couple of beers and a giant cookie. That's what I'm gonna have. Ah, oh, big cookie sounds good. Yeah, man. Okay, good chat. See you next Bye. week. Right, goodbye, goodbye, listeners. <laughs> Love you lots. Don't say bye to somebody. Don't. And goodbye, Colin. That's that's season one shtick. Bye, James.